0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. I love the sound of Bible pages flipping open. Here's what it says, starting verse 13. Now, that same day, the day of the resurrection, the resurrection has just happened. So this is the context. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the crucifixion took place. So they're headed in an opposite direction to a place called Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem, headed to Emmaus. We don't know where Emmaus is to this day. We haven't discovered that yet. Here's what verse 14 says. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. These were two of Jesus' disciples. They were, in the larger, they were part of the larger band of Jesus' disciples. And so they were witnesses to the crucifixion. Verse 15, and while they were discussing and arguing Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what what, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleophas, I don't like that name. Cleophas, don't name your kid this. The one named Cleophas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Who doesn't know the things that happen there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? Now, I've told you this before. When Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't already know the answer. The question is for your benefit, not his. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and, the pe- and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21 is so important. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish, how foolish, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, hey, stay with us, because it's almost evening, it's night, it's a little dangerous out here. And Emmaus, like, we don't want you to get caught up in the bloods of the crypts out here, so, so, so come with us. That's, that's what I just imagined that they said. So he went to stay with them. And it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. And then something strange happened. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord truly has been raised and has appeared to Simon. Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word together, Lord. Thank you for just your sweet presence being with us on this morning. I pray that your people can grow in your word today. I pray that we're all encouraged together. God, help us to see what we need to see in your word today. Give us insight. Uh, Give us just, just wisdom in it, Lord. I pray your son Jesus would be made known Um, I pray for clarity today. Um, I pray that for these few moments that we don't just watch some preacher give us a monologue, but that we dialogue and participate together. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray your son Jesus will be made known today. In Jesus' name we pray. The people of God said amen. amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. My sermon title this morning is when God shows you who he is, believe him. When God shows you who he is, believe him. We've all heard the phrase before. I'll venture to say that we're all familiar with the phrase, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them, right? In reality, there's a measure of wisdom in that perspective. It, It assumes that in order to protect, yourself and to make wise decisions regarding people we must not deny the signs that they show us by their consistent actions to engage with somebody who has repeatedly proven that they are a danger or a roadblock to who it is that you want to become yet repeatedly ignore all the signs is an exercise in insanity genius Albert Einstein famously said it like this insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results but this is what we do when we interact with individuals who we love or care about believing that they will one day be something different than what they have repeatedly showed us that they are you know we are not good at believing people when they show us who we are you got to admit it you're not good at but you people got to do it to you like 150,000 times for you to get it. So we, we, we are glutton for punishment when it comes to people, especially people that we love. We are, we are a glutton for punishment for family members. Yet when it comes to God, we become experts at not believing who He is when He repeatedly shows us, and most importantly, when He tells us who He is. When people show us, we have a hard time believing that they are who they show us. But when it comes to God. We don't believe him either. And although he is more trustworthy, he is safer, he protects us, he provides for us, we refuse to believe who he shows us that he consistently is. But today, for our good, the good of our present, and for the good of our future, I would encourage you today that when God shows us who he is, we should believe him. When God tells us who he is in his word, We should take him at his word and believe him. You see, what what we have before us today is a pair of individuals that fail to grasp the totality of who God is and what he has come to do. Now, now this is after the tomb is empty, and this is one of the first and most vivid resurrection appearances in the Bible. After the, the crucifixion, Jesus was raised on the third day. You may have heard that or you're familiar with that. But then he began to appear to some of his disciples. At one point, Jesus appeared to a group of over 500 eyewitnesses. And so he's appearing to people. The tomb is empty, which means that Jesus is not dead. He's alive because he's been raised from the dead. And that changes everything. That's why we celebrate Easter, because Jesus got up out of the grave. Oh, why why does it matter? Because if he didn't, we're still in our sins. All hope is lost. If Jesus didn't get out of the grave, we might as well pack it up and go to brush together. There's better stuff that we can do with that time if the resurrection did not happen. But if it did happen, it changes everything. It changes everything. As a matter of fact, the resurrection is a, a reassurance of our faith. But it's only good news if you can perceive it correctly. The Emmaus disciples are headed home after a traumatic weekend. These two disciples... Cleophas and the one that is not named are two of Jesus's disciples who were in Jerusalem during the events of his passion during the events of his suffering of his arrest of him being brutally beaten, and him dying on the cross they were there to witness all of this they've been with Jesus they heard his teachings they probably ate with Jesus they're around him they hung out with Jesus and so they they saw their friend go through all of this suffering and so this is a traumatic experience they had to watch this in real time and so we can't just just detach ourselves from this you know what it's like when you even see something on tv and you have to turn your head because it makes your your stomach turn we, we can't some of us if you can stand to watch tragedy and you got you need help but for the rest of us that have a weak stomach and we, we just can't see people hurt imagine the person who you love gets taken away from you right before your very eyes and this is what has happened to them. This is a traumatic experience. We can't gloss over this. Th- th- there is disappointment, that there is grief in the hearts of these two disciples that their hope departed when Jesus died. Th- and so they are traveling back home and working out their issues along the way. And verses 13 through 16 tells us that, that now the same day two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that took place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus came near and he began to walk along with them. Right? They were were in this serious conversation about what happened. The Bible says that they were discussing and arguing about what happened. They left Jerusalem disappointed. Their, Their expectations were not met. So guess what happened when their expectations were not met? They began to drift. And so you see them leaving the place where they were facing disappointment, and then drifting away in the opposite direction. They didn't just drift in their minds. They drifted in their actual bodies. They drifted away from the community of disciples. And I want to ask the question today, oppose this, how often are we tempted to drift and detach when disappointment sets in in our lives? (laughs) Think about this. It is natural for us when we are disappointed to want to detach and drift away from the thing that caused the disappointment. The first time you get disappointed at your new job, you want to detach and drift away. When the road gets rocky in the relationship, our natural response is not to draw near, but to detach. Detach and drift. When things don't go our way, how convenient does the temptation to walk away come to us? When, when our hopes are dashed, we tend to drift. How, how often they, they, are, they are discussing and arguing. How often do we fuss and discuss when things don't go the way we planned? Have you ever had a bad day at work and on the way home in the car you call whoever your closest confidant is and you tell them how bad your day was? You begin to fuss about your job or you begin to fuss about the people at church. I can't believe they did that today. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did this. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she said that. Can you, can you, can you, you, you know what it's like to leave a place after being disappointed and you don't want to return. We, we, we know what that's like. You, you know what it's like to go to the, to the doctor's office maybe and hear some bad news. You don't want to go and stay in the doctor's office. You want to drift away because we don't like disappointment disappointment and despair doesn't just cause us to leave places oftentimes it causes us to detach and drift away from God too and so these last two years of disappointment and despair seemingly because of COVID it it brought about the drifting of an entire generation of Christians who allowed disappointment and disillusionment to drift to drift and deconstruct everything that they once said that they believed think about this all the people who in 2019 and all the years prior were faithful, committed believers, one season, one one year or a year and a half of disappointment set in and many people have never recovered. People have drifted away from God and it began the process of them reconsidering and, and deconstructing everything that they once said that they held firm to. Because oftentimes disappointment causes us to detach and drift away, but, but, but you see what happened, they, they leave Jerusalem and they go, they, they leave Jerusalem, the place of their disappointment, and go back to Emmaus, the place of comfort. How often do we drift away from the place of purpose, because when disappointment sets in, it's easier for us to go back to what we're familiar with, and this is what is happening to them But my favorite two words in the Bible happen, but God. But, but God, they, they drift away, they have their own plans, they can't take it no more, their hopes are dashed, they don't know what to do, all seems lost, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, Jesus comes and walks alongside of them. They're walking away from Him, but He is drawing near to them. I just want to stop right here and say, you may think that you're walking away from God. There may have been seasons in your life where you thought you were drifting away from God and doing your own thing. The only reason that you are back on the path that you're on today is because when you drifted away, Jesus drew near to you even in your ignorance. God, God, when we drift, God draws near. J- Jesus doesn't like, oh, uh, J- Jesus understands when we're disappointed. Jesus understands when we're in a season of despair and grief, but He didn't run away from us like people do. He draws near to us. And this is what we have in the text. Jesus Himself joins them on the journey. And I want to say this to you if you're in pain. God is walking with you in your pain. God is walking with you in your disappointment. You might be disappointed about your career. You might be disappointed about your relationship status. You might be disappointed about your financial situation. You might be disappointed about your family dynamic. You might be disappointed in yourself because you're not what you thought you would be at this point in your life. But let me tell you, God is with you. He's walking with you today. Wherever you are, He's walking with you. And you may say... But I don't see him and I can't feel him. They didn't either. The scripture tells us that Jesus is walking with them, but they don't even recognize it. They don't even recognize that he is there with them. He is with them even when they can't perceive it. Verse 16 says, but they were prevented from recognizing him. They are walking in a fog of doubt and in the presence of God at the same time so for some reason, Jesus, he does have a normal appearance that, that, that when they saw him in these resurrection appearances, he had all of his wounds from the crucifixion, but, but for some reason, they can't seem to recognize him. The, these are two people who have been around Jesus before. They, they've heard him preach and teach, but he walks alongside them and he begins to ask them some questions. And here's what he says in verse 17 through 21. He asked them, what, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking, and they looked discouraged. And our home by Cleophas, answered. And he's like, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem today that don't know the things that have happened? Have you been living under a rock? Do you not know that the president was indicted? Where were you? What have you been doing this week? There ain't that many TikTok videos to watch for you not to know what is happening. And he's just playing up. What things? You ever already know some and then you are talking to somebody, but you got to pretend that you don't know because somebody else told you when they tell you. Don't act like you don't know what they're talking about. We've all been there before. What? For real? No, you don't say. I can't believe it. What? This is what Jesus is doing. And they they just go on explaining themselves. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people and our chief priests and our leaders. they, They sentenced him to death. They crucified him. But an indication is given to us into their disappointment and their grief. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Now, I want to tell you this. He starts talking to them. They stop walking. They look discouraged because they are grieving. They're drowning in their sorrows. The Bible says that they are arguing. Oftentimes, when we experience experiencing grief, all we know how to do is pick fights with people. All we know how to do is see. See, you ever been around some, a person who's so entrenched into their grief that no matter what you tell them, they can't receive it as good news? We won the lottery. So? Th- They're in this spot. They can't get, they are so disappointed. They can't shake their grief loose because it's a real thing. If you read the first 12 verses, the, the women, the women go to the empty tomb. The, the women are like, the tomb is empty. They go back and tell the male disciples the male disciples don't believe them. They're like, that's just nonsense. And the Bible literally says, they did not believe the women. Because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, oftentimes women perceive far quicker than men do about almost everything. Did you see what they said? I, what's, huh? Huh? What? Nah. Nah, they all right. Nah, they didn't say that. You, you didn't see the tone in the inflection, huh? <laughs> I was just trying to get something to eat. <laughs> and these two disciples are part of the band who blow off the women. They've told them that the tomb is empty. They should have been rejoicing. But when you're in grief, you can't even receive good news when it's right in front of you. The one named Cleophas is being smart with Jesus. Are you the, uh, so, so you're the only person that don't know what's going on here really he thinks that the person who he's talking to is clueless but little does he know the only person that is clueless is him see, so he says that he's a prophet powerful in word and he, he he's he's a prophet see he partially knows who jesus is but his knowledge is incomplete Jesus is more than a prophet. This is the same thing that Muslims believe. They don't deny that Jesus existed. Muslims actually believe that Jesus was a great prophet. But my question then becomes is, if he's a great prophet, how can you call him a great prophet, but you not believe that he he is who he said he is? So either he's a prophet or he's not. Right? And and, and so they they say that he's a prophet, but they don't realize that he's not just any prophet. He's God's prophet. He's the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. He is the one who the Scriptures predicted. Yet they still don't understand even though he's right there in front of them, and I think they're blinded by their false expectations i venture to say verse 21 might be the most important scripture in this entire passage because it says that we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. If you read that at face value, you think it's something good, but what you don't realize is they didn't want Jesus to save them how they needed to be saved. They wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. And so when Jesus does not do the song and dance that they want him to do, disappointment sets in. They wanted to be free from Roman oppression. The Jewish people had been in bondage to the Egyptians. They had been in bondage to the Babylonians. And so they were tired of being in bondage. And so finally someone came who could be their Messiah and set them free from their oppression, who could set up shop and do everything that they needed him to do. But then he dies and disappointment sets in. How can he save us from our horrible predicament if he's dead? But when Jesus was teaching them, he kept talking to his disciples before he died that the Messiah had to suffer and would be raised on the third day. But they couldn't receive a gospel that included suffering in it. They wanted a gospel of your best life now. They wanted a gospel that didn't include heartache. They wanted a gospel that didn't include suffering. They didn't want a gospel that they wanted a gospel that didn't include disappointment. They wanted God to do whatever they wanted God to do for them. And so when God does not do that, they're disappointed. Which, which leads me to this. You, you can hear what he has said. You can read what it says in his word. You can even agree with what some of he said, but if you don't perceive it correctly, it does not matter. So for them, the cross is a stumbling block. It's too it's too scandalous. Like, like if, if a Messiah is going to come, he's not going to suffer. If the Messiah that I, that I envision is going to come in like Mike Tyson, just knocking everybody out, he's not going to suffer. He's not going to go through something. He, he's just going to make everything easy for us. But what they don't realize is that in order to get the glory, you got to go through Grief. But their false hopes have blinded them and kept them from seeing what is real. And some of us today are walking around blind because of our own ambitions, expecting God to give us things in a life that he never guaranteed to give us. So when suffering happens or we don't get our way, we lean towards throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But we do this because we've neglected to align our expectations with the right understanding of what God has said in his word. And we live in a time where people are drowning themselves in so much shallow and false teaching of the scriptures. I want to pause right here and say this. If I see one more clip of some pastor preaching something that has nothing to do with what Jesus said in his word, I'm going to throw up. And what makes me even sicker is that we have a generation of people who have access to a Bible but are too lazy to check for themselves what it really says. And so we take man's word for it and we put things upon God, expectations on God, that God never said he would do for us. And when they don't happen, we get mad at the church, we get mad at God, and we walk away from the faith. But we don't check anything tell you this, next time you're on TikTok or whatever you're on, sit there with your Bible. Don't watch a sermon without the Bible. Because we walk around saying dumb stuff. Like if I just say it, God will give it to me. If I just speak it into existence. It's not what the scripture says, man. The God who speaks things that are not as though they were. You don't have that power. Oh, I just want somebody to prophesy and give me a word from the Lord. If you ever go to a church and the pastor gets up and says, you know, I had a message prepared, but I was on my way to church and God gave me another word. Leave. Let me give you a little behind the curtains for you. That means I didn't prepare and I had nothing to say to begin with, but I'm going to wing it because I know you're lazy and you're not going to check behind me. I just got a word from the Lord for you. Let me prophesy to you. You're going to write a book. Right. You're going to start a new business. Right. You're going to get married. Right. You're going to get old. Right. Tomorrow's Monday. Right. <laughs> and oh my God. Oh my God. And when none of those things happen, we get disillusioned and it damages our faith. They're partially to blame, but you are also culpable because you refuse to read the Word of God. If you want to know what to expect from God, let God tell you. Let God tell you. We got too many people out here giving advice about stuff that they are not an expert in. Okay, sorry. I apologize in advance. You shouldn't take how to get married advice... From somebody that's never been married. You shouldn't take financial advice from somebody that's broke. You shouldn't take credit advice from somebody who has bad credit. Y'all are taking advice from people that you don't even check if they're real or not. If it pops up on your feed, you just read it and you just go with it. People, stop being lazy with life and with the Scriptures. Are y'all with me? Y'all like, man, I just got to shut down my whole TikTok account. (laughs) So what does Jesus do? Verses 25 through 27 tells, tells us that he calls them foolish. But not foolish like dumb, but foolish like unable to perceive what's really happening. And he asked the question, wasn't it necessary that the Messiah... Was to suffer these things and then enter into glory, beginning with with Moses and all the prophets. And here's what it says He interpreted for them the things concerning Himself and all the scriptures. And so Jesus says, Let me help you. Jesus does a Bible study for them right there in the middle of the street. He says, You're slow of heart, slow of heart. Like you've not aligned yourself with what my word actually says, that they have a failure. To, to to embrace the ways of God. They, they 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 Jesus is trying to clear up their confusion because they're confused because they didn't take him at his word in the beginning. And so he points out to them that the all of the old testament points to me when you read Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, about by your stripes, by his stripes you are healed. They're talking about me. It was my stripes on the cross when Psalm 16 say, says that 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 he would not allow his one to see decay. They're talking about me and my resurrection from the grave everything about the good news must be seen in light of what was already said in the old testament so when you read the scriptures let that point us to jesus the bible is not about you the bible is not about you the bible is about the bible is the story about god and what he has done to redeem his people through his son so jesus clears it up for him i want to read something to you that jesus says Luke 24, verses 44 through 47, here's what Jesus says. He says this, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This is later on with the other disciples he also said to them this is what is written the messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at jerusalem notice what he doesn't do he doesn't do some scriptural gymnastics and tell them that i just i just feel that this is what god is saying no he plainly interprets the scriptures for them he doesn't tell them to run around a mountain 27 times He doesn't tell them to speak it and decree it and declare it. He doesn't give them anything fuzzy and funny. He doesn't tell them, I sense that the Lord is doing this and here's what I feel like. No, he doesn't do this. In a simple fashion, he interprets the Scripture for them. But we've trained ourselves to look for what's sexy on Instagram and not what's right in front of us in the Scriptures. God doesn't need us to spruce up his word to make it sound better. God doesn't need us to make his word more palatable for the culture. His word says what it says. So here's what I want to say. If you're confused today about your faith and you need clarity, you need the word of God to clear up your confusion. The word of God teaches us the way and the wisdom of God Arkin Hugh Hughes says this, the Bible tells us that they, 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 they couldn't see and that they were kept, kept from recognizing Christ. Here's what he says, they were divinely kept from recognizing Christ so that they would base their understanding of the resurrection squarely on the Scripture and not on experience. Because oftentimes when we explain our faith to people, we don't point them back to Scripture, we point them to what we feel. But what happens when they have a different feeling than what you feel? We don't base our faith off feelings. We base base our faith off the infallibility of Scripture, that it is true, that it is trustworthy, that it's inerrant, that it makes no mistakes, that it's pure from beginning to end. Notice something that Jesus begins his ministry with Scripture, and he ends it with Scripture. I want to say this. I believe that God has called a lot of people to preach the gospel. I believe that God has called men and women to preach and proclaim and share the good news. But just because you have a phone with a camera on it does not mean that it's, ready, it's time for you to start preaching. And my, my fear is that we have a bunch of people who want the clicks, the likes, the follows but have not properly prepared or trained themselves to teach anybody. Paul says, study to show thyself approved. The key word there, study. And so just because you got a feeling or an unction in your belly doesn't mean you're ready to teach anybody. It's amazing that we can run in front of the camera, but we can't share with our neighbor. Let that be your ministry, that everybody you run into in the grocery store, in your dorm room, in your apartment complex, in your family, let them be the first people that you preach to. Test out on them before you create your own channel and start teaching something when you don't know anything. And that's not me being an old man on the porch, but what I'm trying to get people to do is to go back to the Scriptures. The only thing that can save people is what God has said in His Word, not what you feel. If Jesus, if His ministry is rooted in Scriptures, then yours should be too. We have to become a generation of people who are no longer biblically illiterate, but that we are people who are like the Bereans. We have a passion for the Word of God. We're intentional about the Word of God. We spend countless hours feeding our brains with mind-numbing nonsense day after day. Some of it is cool, and you get a good laugh, and that's good. I'm sure it's a stress reliever. But for the most part, we're just filling our brains with nonsense. But when we come to the text, it doesn't make sense with us because we're not aligned with that. We're aligned with something else. But if you want to know what God's will is for your life, who better to tell you than God himself through his word? We can't understand the totality of the scriptures and what they mean unless God has pointed it out to us in the text. I want to read another quote from a commentator. Here's what he says. He says, we must view all of scripture In light of Christ and what He has done. If not, we run the risk of interpreting Scripture in light of what we want it to say, which takes us further away from the life that God has called us to live. We will end up misinterpreting everything. So, today I want to encourage you that we need to get back into the Word of God and reading our Scriptures. Not only do we need the Scriptures, we need community. Verses 28-32 says this, They came near the village where they were going and gave the impression that he was going further, but they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So they went in to stay with him. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broken and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but, but he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? And here's what you need to know. They invite him over and extend some hospitality with him. To, to with him, And so Jesus, in this setting of intimacy and over a meal their eyes are open. Have you ever gotten to know somebody better once you had dinner with them? Like, like you you get, a, you, you find out some real stuff about some people if you just sit down and talk to them. Right? You, you find out more about you. It, I found out one of our members had like 27 degrees yesterday. I had no idea. They've been with me for eight years. I had no clue But we pause to have a conversation. What I'm saying and what we should see in the text is that we get to know more about Jesus when we invite him in. Our eyes are open as we draw near. It's through a knowledge of the scriptures that we understand God's plan. And also when we gather in community with him and with others that, that we get to know Jesus in, in a greater way. Even myself as a pastor in the context of life group, I've learned so much about God from being around other believers. We need each other. We, we need each other. We we, we can't even afford to study outside of community. We we need each other to study. But believers can, can experience the presence of God through the studying of Scriptures, but also in the fellowship of each other. And here's what I want to point out. And I'm almost done. Here's what happens. They realize who Jesus is. Their eyes are open. He leaves them, and they could have stayed right where they were in Emmaus and celebrated. They could have stayed right there and celebrated. But once they realized who God was, they couldn't keep it to themselves. They left Emmaus and went back where they belonged. And they shared what they found out with the rest of the disciples and little did they know the disciples were already gathering celebrating his resurrection and so you don't you don't see a group of people who who just find out who God is and they keep it to themselves because when God saves you you can't keep it a secret It'll just come out of your pores. You tell everybody about what God has done for you. You you, you can't keep it to yourself. If we can share all kind of crazy nonsense and videos and all kind of foolishness, why can't we share the thing that has saved our lives, that has brought us from death to life? You know how many people I've shared and told that where I go to get my expensive haircuts at? There's 5,000 barbers. you You can drive on a corner and find a barber, but I just felt like I needed to tell somebody because of the job he did on my hair. But if I can talk about some nonsense that does not matter, that does not save, how much more should we be willing to share something that does? They didn't just stay in the place of their disappointment, but they went back. They found hope and the one who they had their hope in all along. How did they do that? They finally came to the point that they believed who God was when he told them. But it only came through the scriptures and time spent with him. In this age of busyness, we cannot, we cannot afford not to be intentional about time with God. We cannot afford to just let our lives waste calling ourselves Christians but never drawing near and being intimate with God. Like this is, this is an opportunity for us to draw near to him. If, if you're unclear about his will, if you're confused about what God wants to do in your life, God is not trying to keep his will a secret from you. But he's already revealed it. We must draw near to him. And what we'll realize is, is that God has called us to be raised with him, that, that, that he's been raised from the grave, but that's just not just good news for him, that's good news for us, that we have been raised with him. This is why we celebrate the resurrection, because we are no longer in our sins, that we have been raised to life with him, that we are no longer in our sins, but that we have been forgiven and we have eternal life in him. The good news is not just good news. It's not good news unless we understand first that there was bad news. The bad news is that we were lost without God in the world. But God sent his son and intervened into our lives and made us alive with him and drew us to himself. And so in this present week that we're in, this Week headed towards Easter, I want to encourage you to draw near to God, to spend time with Him, to let Him take us from grief to glory. Let us look back to His promises. That one day we will no longer have to deal with grief. That He's already defeated our greatest enemy. He's already conquered sin. He's already conquered death and he will come back to get us, and we will be raised with him once and for all, and we will reign with Christ. This is the beauty of the resurrection. It's not this just a historical fact that a guy out of a grave, but it means so much to us that the resurrected Jesus is why we have the Holy Spirit. The resurrected Jesus is why he's interceding for us with God. The resurrected Jesus is why he's praying for us. The resurrected Jesus is why we have all of the blessings that we have in Christ. It's because he got up out of the grave. So let this serve as a springboard that if we've been drifting, just coasting along in our relationship without any intentionality, let us draw near with a heart of gratitude. So when we believe read read about Jesus in the scriptures, let us believe that he is who he said he is in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.